You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carl Stebbings and Matt Smith. Well, good afternoon. <laughs> good evening, good night. Another day gone. <laughs> and welcome to episode number 89 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stebbings and joining me in Matt's conservatory studio is my co-host Matt. <laughs> I'd like to say hello and good afternoon, but it, it's been anything but a good yeah. afternoon. Apologies to everyone who's been hanging on there in with the us chat in room, the chat yeah. room. We've had what I can only describe as catastrophic <laughs> failure today, but it's fine. Yeah. It's all working-ish. It's not, you know, it's not HD or anything, but it is working, so oh. we'll take that. And with that in mind, we do have a very, very, very special and insanely patient I guest, know. We're, we're, uh, who gonna... to which we we need to send her presents and gifts and things. I'm, I'm so <laughs> going to take her a massive. Batch of beer yeah. across to Farnborough next year. So anyway, can we let's welcome our special guest? It is the lovely Steph. Hello, Steph. Hello. Good morning, <laughs> Matt and Carl. Yes. It's still morning here, so don't don't yeah. worry. It's uh, the, the sun is starting to come up. So yeah. those of you who uh, are regular listeners to ABG will know Dr. Steph from the uh, Airline Pilot Guy show, and uh, she co-presents on there with uh, Rick and Jeff. So, but no, thank you very much for coming on the show. And Absolutely. thank you guys for the invite. I do appreciate it. It's good oh, to be we here appreciate with you. it. Right. I think we should crack on yes. before anything else goes wrong. So shall so, we do this? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> hello to everyone in the chat room. Thanks for joining us and thanks for staying with us. And uh, we're going to start the show then as we do each week with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So if we're all ready. Yes, yes, we're all ready. Let's ready. do this. Let's, Let's go. go. Deja vu. I know. So the first news story <laughs> is on the BBC News website, and uh, Virgin uh, have uh, brought a 747 into service to use on their space program. So the jet will be launch platform for a satellite rocket being developed by another one of the entrepreneurs' companies, Virgin Galactic. The 747 is going to carry a booster to a high altitude where it will be released to ignite its engine and go out into orbit. The old 747-400 uh, can handle the weight, uh, and it's been designed to carry this uh, new uh, pr this project into uh, into the stars. Uh, the uh, Virgin Atlantic livery, under the nickname Cosmic Girl, will get new paint job in the Virgin Galactic colours. And uh, you got if you got YouTube, you can go onto YouTube and see a video of this mm. uh, this being designed. The Boeing 747 is a very special place in Mr. Branson's heart, he says. And uh, it's obviously one of the ex-Version Atlantic 747-400s uh, uh, that they've used uh, for this. Uh, it's going to carry a booster rocket, and uh, the whole project uh, mission is going to be around about the $10 million mark um, for this. Um, but it's another, uh, another, well, it's another string to Virgin's uh, or Virgin Galactic's bow here using the 747 as this. But mm. it's not been the first time because obviously the 747's been used in the past to carry the uh, shuttle. Um, well, the uh, Challenger, I think it was on, they used to carry that on the 747-100. Mm. Uh, but Steph, you can see... I actually got to see that one time. You got to see that? In person. Oh, yeah, wow. the um, shuttle on top of the 747 it flew directly over our house when I lived back in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah like 15, 20 years ago. Oh, really wow. neat. Yeah, because that, that is a 100 series they would use for that. It's a really old 747 that NASA mm. used for mm -hmm. that. But uh, no, you, you guys are lucky because you, you uh, obviously can uh, go and see the shuttle. You've got one of these in the museum in the US, haven't you? One of the shuttles. 
I yep, so. we do. Um, there's one at the um, Smithsonian National Air and Space Museum, which we actually saw this past summer. Ah, cool. That's another one of the places I'd love to go in the US. Where's that? The Smithsonian Air and Space Museum. Really? Mm. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah I, bet that, I bet that is pretty amazing. Yeah, you've got some pretty cool uh, museums across your <laughs> side of the uh, pond, Steph. So next story, moving on, is yes, uh, one of indeed. Matt's favourites. Oh, here we go. And yet another Ryanair story just Whoa. for a change. So this is on the Air Transport World website. And the headline is Ryanair in Boeing 737 delivery ramp up. Ah. Ryanair's fleet is set to swell from 320 Boeing 737s this year to around 360 in 2016 as the Irish budget carrier begins its aircraft delivery uh, uh, ramp up. Uh, this is the first of, sig of significant aircraft deliveries running at 40 to 50 uh, per year, Ryan C Ryanair CEO Michael O'Leary told journalists at the London press briefing on the 1st of December. The aircraft will be used to open 84 new routes this winter. Ryanair has also been approached by the Israeli authorities encouraging the budget carrier to increase its links to the country. We are in discussions with a number of Israeli airports. The authorities are keen to get us to expand, but this is not high up on our list of priorities, said O'Leary, noting that Ryanair is instead focusing on its expansion into Germany, Poland, Central Europe, Italy and Spain. When asked whether the recent terrorist attacks in Paris and heightened state of alert in Brussels had dampened bookings. O'Leary said bookings had softened and no-shows had increased in the days immediately after those events, but bookings are still 3 to 4% up year on year. Uh, we have uh, seen a small softening, but nothing material. He said, on a more uh, speculative note, A.T.W. quizzed O'Leary on where he would uh, set up another short-haul budget uh, carrier given the opportunity. He said, I wouldn't. <laughs> Fair enough. Mm. He, he replied, <laughs> he explained uh, that the model required a, a liberalised market which could only be found in Europe and North America where there are already mature low-cost operations. He added uh, that he had his hands full with Ryanair's own expansion. Ryanair will launch the third year of its Always Getting Better, ah, the Always Getting <laughs> always Better, getting better. Uh, In mm. March 2016, O'Leary said that this will continue to run each year as long as it keeps delivering results. And let's be honest, I mean, the results have been pretty impressive of late. Mm. Have you had the pleasure of flying, with, uh, flying on Ryanair, Steph? I have not, no. No, oh, no. okay. No. Well, that's probably a good thing. I don't know if thing. that's a <laughs> <laughs> good thing or a bad thing. It is definitely a good thing. I think I should keep that. I should, I should keep that um, <laughs> for your I was going to say, I was going to say the closest thing you've got over your side of the, uh, the uh, air is, is, is southwest, I suppose, would be your... Well, I fly, you know, and I fly Southwest all the time, actually, because they fly into um, Chicago Midway Airport, and that's my preferred airport to fly mm. into when I go to Chicago. I have a lot of family and friends there. Mm. Um, but Southwest is great. I have no complaints about, about no. their service. They're awesome. I, I've, I see the videos all the time on YouTube, Steph, of the, um, the, the cabin attendants and stuff, and some of those are really uh, good guys. Oh, yeah, they've done, <laughs> they've done a lot of fun things. And, you know, a lot of times you get a little song, you get, uh, you know, I've had plenty of free drinks for you know small reasons not, like not any big things <laughs> yeah. happening Absolutely. and uh you know sometimes they'll they'll do fun things and play games and roll toilet paper down the aisles and all kinds of fun stuff <laughs> toilet paper down the aisles yeah, yeah they'll that? have a race oh, you know, that, between yes, the two yeah. aisles or between the two sides of the aisle oh so cool <laughs> oh dear oh, so next story then steph is one's for you all right so this one is from looks like 
Daily Mail. That's it. Yes, yes. Um, it's it's what I can only describe as a horrific newspaper that sold hit. Sold <laughs> so hit. I've heard. <laughs> Indeed, it's uh, it's, it's one of the. It, we have a phrase that goes with it. If it's in the Daily Mail, it must be true. In brackets, not. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> well, this this does sound like a true story. So we'll, we'll read this. It well, says, <laughs> "British Airways introduces new boarding pass scanners for the Apple Watch because the old technology forced travelers to remove the device." Uh, really? um, British Airways is introducing new scanners for Apple Watch boarding passes after the number of passengers using the device skyrocketed over the summer. The airline saw a three hundred and eighty-six percent increase. Well, that's a lot. Over uh, four months between June and October, and Apple Watch now accounts for more than 5% of BA's mobile app usage. But BA's current technology meant that users were unable to scan without taking their watches off and causes slight holdups in the queue. Um, the original mounted scanners were designed for paper tickets or slim smartphones, and many passengers with smartwatches couldn't fit their wrists into the space. <laughs> The new scanners will eliminate this problem and are now being introduced into London's Heathrow Airport this month with plans to roll them out to further airports. Uh, it says 36 of the new gadgets are being installed at check-in desks across Heathrow's Terminal 3 and 5, and they will be ready for use on December 15th, so very soon. Indeed. And BA customers will be able to slide their wrists under the new scan-and-go devices to scan their boarding passes and print their own bag tags. Print their um, own bag tags? How cool is that? Interesting. Kevin McQuillan, the head of VA's website and mobile services, said in a statement, we are always striving to make our customers' journeys easier through the use of technology. When we saw the dramatic rise in the number of people using the app on their Apple Watches, we knew we needed to create new features in the terminal, which would make the experience even better for them. And they also announced that it will launch a new version of its iPad app early next year. Mm. I mean, I've, I've I've used it with a with an Android device, like not not obviously with the Apple Watch, but like I mean, we we've used it boarding pass with EasyJet and Ryanair. To be fair, where whereas certainly at the London airports you can use those. When when we were in Menorca, I actually found that uh, it's one of the few locations where they couldn't take the electronic tickets. Uh, you could you could oh, only really? have you could only have the paper based one, which was a, a bit of a disappointment, frankly. But uh, you're right. You are say we, we were talking before we start the show, Steph, and you're you're an Apple you fan fan of all the everything. Apple. I am. Have you got, I am. Have you got the Apple Watch yourself? I do. Hey, hey. Yeah. I see. Very very stylish. Yes. So, yeah, I mean that's not difficult to take it off though. I don't know why. Oops, hold on, let's see if I can get it. There we go. Oh wow. wow. Oh, I like the display. I do like the Seven, Apple Watch. 20. Have you have you have you used uh, has any sort of airlines in the uh, in the states got this as a, you can use this on with their? I haven't, and actually, it hasn't. Um, for the airlines I've flown recently, it hasn't come up as an option to actually have the boarding pass on the watch. You know, I use it with my phone all the time, mm, obviously, mm. but I have not had. You've not, not ever had any issues with using it with your phone and stuff, all the board and passports? No, the no. phone phone seems to work pretty well. Mm. Um, you know, as you're going through security, they scan it there. Um, and then the scanners for the airlines have all worked well. Wow. Cool. I'm going to ask for a. I'm going to get an Android watch. Uh, they do exist, actually. Yeah, uh, Pebble do an excellent one. I Pebble, think. yes, mm -hmm. absolutely, yes. Well, it uses e-paper, you see, because as uh, you say, the ge geeks feel here. It's like one of the things I don't like about the. I mean, they're lovely displays because they do use the little Retina display mm. um, for the Apple Watch, uh, and I do love them. Uh, but the the battery life is shocking. Uh, I think there's no two ways about it. Do you have to charge it up every day, Steph? Yeah, I usually charge it at night, but it charges relatively quickly. Right. I mean, just. 
well, a couple hours. Because I've got a little uh, Pebble watch, um, which I'm not wearing mm-hmm. at the moment, but uh, it does. Uh, it lasts about two weeks between charges. Cause really? It is, well, it, it oh, works. Wow. It works like that. You know, like the the e-readers. I know it's a swear word in, yeah. in your world, Carlos. Yes, obviously, because yes. you, you being a printing book books and things is the uh, the Kindle <laughs> is a, is a swear word in your world. But uh, uh, that it uses that same technology. So it uses like the e-paper thing, and you can now get color versions, believe it or not. Yeah. Uh, and and they are absolutely fantastic. But the advantage is obviously because it's only changing a very tiny part of the screen is the battery life is is significantly mm. better i don't know why i'm talking about that on an aviation show but never mind <laughs> <laughs> it's all part of the fun we love technology yeah, absolutely yeah. do love it i don't love it this morning i'm not, not gonna today, lie yeah no. absolutely. i'm a bit anti-technology it's gonna be today. it's gonna be easier carrying having a boarding pass on your wrist rather than having a phone sort of Stuck to you, absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't. Yeah, agree. we'll see. I'll let you guys know if I get to use it. Uh, yeah. for that purpose. <laughs> absolutely. So, next story on Flight Global site. This one and uh, pretty cool. This one. It's a picture, a picture story as well, yes, but, which we uh, can't do. We can't do <laughs> it because we're having these slight technical issues. Um, but uh, this, uh, the headline: American rolls out final heritage jet. Oh wow! So, American Airlines has unveiled its Air Cal Heritage livery. The air, final aircraft in its fleet showcasing the liveries of its predecessors. I love this. The, the colour here is mm. awesome. And, yeah, yeah, that is so retro, kind of 70s look. Uh, the Boeing 737-800 registration, uh, November 917, November, November, EBSN 29572, mm-hmm. wears a modified version of the uh, livery AirCal introduced in 1981. The Newport Beach, California-based air carrier merged with American in 1987. Uh, the livery uh, joins the Reno Air and Transworld Airlines TWA heritage liveries that American has unveiled during the past month. Reno Air merged with American in 2000 and TWA in 2001. Uh, the heritage liveries have provo- uh, proved popular since they were first introduced by U.S. Airways following its merger with American West Airlines in 2005. The fleet included Allegheny Airlines, American West, Pacific Southwest Airlines, PSA, and Piedmont Airlines. And the liveries have been expanded to include the AirCal, Reno Air, TWA, and U.S. Airways liveries since the carrier disappeared into American this October. The aircraft are popular with employees and customers alike, with American repeatedly highlighting the aircraft in its employee newsletters. While Fort Worth-based American is uh, finished with uh, its heritage liveries, it will continue to repaint U.S. Airways aircraft in the American colors through the, to the end of 2016. Now, Steph, you can see these pictures on here. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. you, have mm-hmm. you have you seen any of these uh, these aircraft yourself? With not the... the new, not the new American ones, but certainly um, the U.S. Airways um, older liveries. They definitely have. Planes that were painted in America West Airlines colors, um, PSA, I think I've seen the Piedmont one as well. I mean, Charlotte's a big, or now it's a big American hub, was a big uh, U.S. Airways hub, so we see those planes mm-hmm. all the time here. So I'm sure I'll be seeing them. It's really the cool seeing the, seven, the 737 on there mm. um, with the TWA. Uh, logo and stuff on the tail. That's, mm-hmm. that's really cool. That's you know, we've been seeing those for a while. Yeah, absolutely. If you want to, if you, as I say, it's actually on the Flight Global website, and it's a picture. American rolls out final heritage jet. So if you Google that in um, um, flightglobal.com, you'll actually find that. So as I say, it's picture. American rolls out final heritage jet. As I say, normally I would happily mm. show them to you, but we, we, we're having a morning <laughs> of technical chaos this morning. <laughs> it's amazing how many airlines have become rolled up into one 
you know? Mm, yeah, over the years. Especially mm. in the States. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, that, yeah. everything's just to... been consolidated here. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. To, to form massive airlines. Well, absolutely. But then, I mean, I suppose if it's helping to drive down costs as far as um, punters and things are concerned, then. I tell you, it'd be cool to see some British airlines follow suit here and kind of do the retro looks on. I mean, BA would be a good one to mm. have their old retro livery from the early 80s on. Yeah. There. With the Landor uh, logos and stuff, which would be quite wow. cool. Yeah, no, that's that's good. Anyway, on to the next story, and this is on Flight Global again, and the headline is "Circuit Board Solder Crack Cited in Indonesia Air Crash." Pro. Well, this is very worrying. Indicators have concluded that the cracked solder joints on a circuit board were the main contributor to a fatal crash of Indonesian Air Asia flight uh, Quebec Zulu 8501 on the 28th of December 2014. Indonesia's National Transportation Safety Committee has delivered its final report on the accident, which involved an Airbus A320 registered as uh, Papa Kilo. Uh, Alpha X-Ray Charlie uh, and resulted in the deaths of 162 passengers and crew. Analysis of the aircraft's flight data recorder showed that around 30 minutes after departing, uh, is it Surabaya? Surabaya? Surabaya. Surabaya, sorry. Thanks for that. Uh, (laughs) On a scheduled service to Singapore, the aircraft's rudder trim limiter system failed, activating four master caution messages in... Uh, on the electronic centralised aircraft monitoring system within a 14-minute period. Following each of the first three master cautions, the crew performed ECAM procedures. Now, what's an ECAM procedure? It's like an electronic um, message system with the aircraft. It right. kind of tells you what's going wrong and, okay. and bits and pieces like that. Yeah, okay. And after the fourth warning, however, the NTSC says that the flight data recorder recorded different signatures that were similar to the FACCBs, uh, that's the flight augmentation computer circuit breakers, being reset, resulting in electrical interruption to the FACs. That is very bad, isn't it? This, uh, this crash actually... Um Obviously, it was very sad indeed. Mm. Uh, this happened last year mm. in December. Um, it crashed in fairly shallow waters. Actually, they were they were lucky in in respect to the recovery um, is, uh, you know, thing. So they they actually yeah. managed to recover quite a large amount of the aircraft. Mm. Um, and uh, as you said there, the, the solder crack. There's actually a story on this where they show the actual not the actual part, but they show one of these the similar circuit boards yes. with, the, with the crack solder joints, and obviously the rudder. The travel limiter mm. obviously stops the rudder from over traveling right. too far okay. um, but it also the, the actual crash has been um, put down as well to inappropriate pilot response um, what be, because of the failure yes yeah, so a lot of the uh, reports and I think yeah. the reports said that the, uh, the the crew could have done a lot more to probably well basically I mean you know if I'm understanding it right and we talked about this quite a bit on um, airline pilot guy last night mm. um, so Jeff and Rick had some good input to this as well mm. but all they really had to do at that point was just fly the aircraft manually. Right. Um, so they could have corrected the problem with opposite rudder input, aileron input. Basically, when the um, autopilot switched off and handed the flight back and the controls back to them, there was nine seconds that elapsed as the plane started to roll to that 54-degree bank right. where they did nothing. There were no inputs at all. So okay. it was a long time to just sit. Sit there and watch, essentially, yep. carnage ensuing. Yeah, mm. well, yeah uh, the plane was, was still very much flyable. Mm. 
Yeah, okay. I mean, even if you just use that command, if you like, to, to get it to the nearest runway, to get it, you know, get it down and just, as you say, literally do it old school and fly it manually. That's just one of the things that Jeff, yeah. Jeff always talks about, isn't it, Steph? You know, that, it uh, is. You know, it, it pilots, you know, you mm. have all the automation, but yeah. you're, still, you're still a pilot. You're still essentially yes. going you're gonna to fly yeah. an aircraft. You've yeah. got a stick or a rudder, you know, you've got mm. your rudder controls, you've got mm. a colony, uh, control yoke. Um, flying aircraft, you know. Surely that's off. why these guys do this in the first place. I mean, surely they're doing <laughs> right. it because they love flying. I mean, mm. <laughs> and I guess you know there was some confusing um, um, discussion between the crew. The the um, captain, I think, mentioned something like pulled down. Yeah. But the co-pilot flying interpreted that to mean pull up, so pulling back on the control stick instead of pushing forward to break the stall. So it was a little bit of miscommunication there too unfortunately mm, yeah pretty pretty disastrous really isn't yeah. it yeah yeah anyway. yeah very sad so next story yeah and this one's for you steph all right so there's a picture here which again i guess we don't have <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> okay. sorry don't rub it <laughs> in says, yeah. <laughs> tam's first a350 makes maiden flight oh cool um so TAM's first Airbus A350-900 has operated its maiden flight from Toulouse ahead of its delivery to the airline later this month. The aircraft will undergo the final production phase, which involves further ground checks and flight tests, says Airbus. TAM will be the first America's operator of the A350, holding orders of 27 for the type. Six of these were converted earlier this year to the larger A350-1000. The Brazilian carrier will begin operating the aircraft between Sao Paulo and Manaus in January followed by international flights from Sao Paulo to Miami, Madrid, and Orlando. So very cool. So hopefully we'll get to see that here in the States too. Do you not think, Steph, that uh, I'm just uh, saying in the chat room that the uh, A350 looks really similar to the Dreamliner, or is it just me? Yeah, I see a lot of simul similarities. I'd have to see them side by side, to be honest. Um, but it does, yeah, I see a lot of <laughs> I think it's just the, the front of sure. the nose. I think the, no, the way the nose comes down at the front, it just looks very... 787-ish, I have to say. <laughs> Sorry, I, I was just very distracted by, by Steph's little friend in the background there. He's, oh, uh, I'm... <laughs> hey. That's a fabulous little fella. Let's see if I can... Uh, Where is oh, it? There, there he is. Hey. There we go. Just get out of the way. <laughs> oh, he's having a he's look very outside. distracted by the squirrels in the trees right well, now. Well, I, I don't blame so. it. It's very exciting out there because it's now daylight. It's daylight. That's how long we've been recording, bless you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to, to say, uh, uh, what's what, what's the, what's it going to be like today, weather-wise? What, what's the, uh, the 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 forecast? Yeah. yeah, it looks looks like it's going to be very nice, um, sunny. Um, well, maybe partly cloudy, and a high of what did we say, fifteen degrees? 15, yeah, wow, wow, that's, that's good. good. That's, that's that's not bad, as I say. Mind you, we're having an insanely warm. November. We are having a very mild because yeah, it's uh, like thirteen so degrees at the moment, or something stupid. And the wind wow. not not That's allowing cool. for wind chill factor, but I mean we don't get that in the summer sometimes. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I think I was reading, you know, when I was looking at the weather earlier, it's mm. going to be close to twenty by the end of the week again here. Mm. So absolutely, kind of in the south, so that's expected. Christmas is coming. Yeah, oh, it is. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes, snow is overrated. So, next story <laughs> on Flight Global. Indeed. And the headline Spring Airlines orders 60 A320 Neos. Uh, this is Spring Airlines, mm. not just Springtime Airlines, but actual an airline called Spring Airlines, which I right. haven't heard of. Okay. Uh, they've signed an order for 60 Airbus A320 Neo family aircraft. Uh, they're a Chinese low cost carrier 
and say in a stock exchange statement that the order will be split between 45 A320neos and 15 A321neos in a deal valued at $6.3 billion at list prices. No engine selection was specified and the order remains subject to approval by the Chinese government. Uh, Spring indicates that delivery of the aircraft will take place in 2019, this is a few years away, mm. and 2023. It will use a combination of internal funds, bank loans, and or funds raised for, uh, from financing instruments to finance a purchase. It's not clear if the order is linked to an earlier announcement at the Paris Air Show where an unnamed Asian carrier signed a memorandum of understanding for 60 A320neo aircraft. Flight Global's Ascend uh, Fleet's analyzer shows that Spring Airlines has 52 A320 ne uh, CEOs in service and has eight more on order. So, I mean, well, as I say, not heard them before. How, how big are they? I mean, I don't know. I've never heard of Spring Air, uh, whether it's just me being uh, not uh, <laughs> overly no, familiar with them. No, no, uh, no Spring no, Airlines. But, I mean, 60 is quite a big order, isn't it? It is, and we and every week we have stories, don't we, Matt, mm. where we're talking about the orders and stuff for the, for yeah. Airbus and Boeing. Um, but Spring well, Airlines are ba have got hubs in Shang, uh, Shanghai um, and yeah. Shenzhen. Right. So, okay. Have you got sort of a a, a, a fleet size there? So it says right now fifty-two. Is that what you see? Yeah. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Flight Global's fleet analyzer shows that the Spring Airlines has fifty-two, eighty. So they're going to add a hundred. So they're going to have over a hundred and ten, like double. That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, their A320s are uh, configured for one hundred and eighty passengers. Mm. So that's uh, obviously you know, as many as you can cram onto a, a, an A320 anyway. Wow. But uh, wow, no, they've uh, they've crazy. actually been uh, they were actually founded in two thousand and four. Right. So they've um, been about a while. They've been about a while. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah good ten years. With thirty four destinations mm. on their um, on their. But then I suppose it, like, because we don't live out that way, in the, in the same way that obviously Dr. Steph has never heard of Ryanair, when <laughs> lucky you. Uh, it's, well, I've heard of them. <laughs> You've heard of them, yeah. yeah. Just never flown with them. Perhaps when you're over next year for Farmer Steph, you can just quickly nip across to, say, Ireland for a, there for we a day. Go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I can I can personally I can recommend going to visit Ireland. Ireland is a lovely. Place I've been to life. Ireland. Have oh. you? Yeah, oh. I've actually been to the UK too. I've been to London. Um, but I flew right. you, between you, the two on Aer Lingus. Mm, you, oh, yeah. you, you can keep your London. I don't like going to London. I had to go there <laughs> yesterday. I had a terrible, yeah. terrible time. But anyway, being, being a coach driver in <laughs> yes, London is absolutely. not good. No, yeah. it's actually. I've said before though, it's actually easier driving a coach in London than it is actually driving around London because if you, uh, uh, there's a sort of unwritten rule where you can pull out in front of cars in, in <laughs> London and they more or less give way. <laughs> if you do that in your car, I mean, it's every man for themselves. But there's, I say, uh, dear old Boris, bless him, as we like to refer to him he's got this he's the mayor of london mayor and there is london, this sort yeah. of unwritten uh, rule that uh, you 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 don't um you don't basically you see you can put a bus can pull out and cars will, will let you through uh, sort of as a bit of a bite no, why, why am i doing this again it's an aviation show I'm you're so talking sorry. about coaches <laughs> <laughs> i love it i need to get out more i know next story is <laughs> Uh, yes, sorry, this is uh, me. This is uh, Flight Global again, and it says Boeing clears 787-10 uh, for manufacturing phase. Now, I've not heard of this one. What's this? This 787 is a Dreamliner, but this is the Dash 10. This is oh, a right. really okay, right. It's an extension version. to it. Yeah. yeah, so Boeing has cleared the 787-10 to transition from detailed design to the manufacturing and assembly stage ahead of schedule. The third and largest member of the 787 family passed the detailed design milestone, allowing Boeing to release parts to and 
tooling information to uh, machinists and suppliers. Uh, Boeing now looks forward to production, uh, says 787 Airplane Development Vice President Ken Sanger in a statement. First flight of the 787-7 is scheduled in 2017, followed by entry into service a year later. Gosh, that's a very quick turnaround, isn't it? The business case for the 787-10 emerged years after Boeing had the 787-8 and 9 already on the drawing boards. Boeing saw a need for an aircraft that could serve high density routes up to 6,430 N. What does NM mean? Somebody Nautical correct? miles. Nautical <laughs> miles. Splendid. Good. Uh, uh, including routes within China and from the Middle East to Asia and Europe. The 787-10 emerged in 2013 with around about 1,200 nautical miles less range than the 787-9, but sharing the same maximum takeoff weight while carrying around 40 more passengers, which I guess uh, it, it was load factors are concerned is a huge, huge mm. number. In addition to a common uh, weight rating, the 787-10 would also be made as common as possible with the 787-9 with Boeing travelling, uh, targeting 95% uh, matching part number. So that's good. So it's uh, easy to get hold of the bits. The company even authorised a software change to the flight controls uh, to avoid having to change the size of the horizontal stabilizers despite a 5.27 or that's 18 foot stretch for, to the fuselage. But the additional length of the 787-10 caused Boeing to make some major adjustments including inserting a 777 style semi-levered landing gear. Hmm. The market for the 787-10 has developed over two and a half years. It's now included in 164 sorry, firm orders by nine customers. The aircraft is powered by a 76,000 pound thrust version of the GV, GE Aviation GENX 1B and the Rolls-Royce Trent 1000. The available thrust of the 787-10 emerged as a concern earlier this year by Emirates Airline. Tim Clark, Emirates Chief Executive, is evaluating the 787-10 against the A350-900. Ooh, looking at the rivals. Ooh, uh, which is powered by an 84,000 pound thrust Rolls-Royce Trent XW, uh, XWB engine. Clark initially worried that the 787-10 lacked sufficient power to carry a maximum payload on the hottest days in Dubai, but has recently said the aircraft's thrust levels are acceptable for routes up to eight and a half hours. Wow. Just looking at the 787-10... Hmm. Um, yeah, it's going to be offered up with the Rolls-Royce or the GE engines on that one. Mm. Um, they're going to have a typical passenger um, of uh, passenger um, amount on there, depending on whether they configure it with the airlines and stuff. But it's going to be about 330, 340 passengers on this aircraft. <laughs> Uh, Tony's taking the mickey out of me in the chat room, by oh, the way. Yes, absolutely. He he suggested he rather likes the idea of a coach talking UK. Coach talking UK. <laughs> that would be a good podcast. I mean, that's just rude, isn't it? That's a semi-levered or semi-levered landing gear. Mm. Yes, I said levered, didn't I? Yeah, Sorry, it's because we. Sammy Rick about that. <laughs> semi-levered landing gear. It's um, it's something that's been. I think this is something that's been designed by. Yeah, it's Boeing. Mm. Yeah, and it, it's it's. I'm just looking at the bits on the top of the line here. There's loads to read, but you can if you look up semi-levered landing gear, 
Um, it's uh, it's all to do with the way the the bogey and stuff is on the landing gear. Yeah, What's I, up? I, I see Masha has picked up on Steph's point as well. Semi-levered landing gear. I can hear Rick yeah, drooling from here. Yes. Rick will <laughs> talk your ears off about that. Yeah. For hours. Is is he a fan of levered gearing then? Well, Miami <laughs> Miami Rick seven in particular. Yeah. yeah Miami Rick is uh, is obviously one of the uh, the co-hosts as well. Yes, on yes, yes, APG. yes. No, I have seen and him. Don't he, don't don't, don't, don't sound so surprised. But he. <laughs> benefit the people who don't know because uh, some of these people might not what, listen to APG they might be weird and not listen to APG but okay, not, unlike right. us we, yeah, of we course, all listen absolutely. to APG yes, yes. Um, but no Rick flies because he, he flies the uh, 777 freighter right oh okay, uh, wow so he right. doesn't have passengers to worry about no, no. Yeah, he, he, I, I've he often said that actually everything about the 777 yeah, yeah he, is, he is Mr. 777 I, I've often <laughs> said actually that my, my day job would be so much more much, so much more enjoyable if it weren't for the passengers that I was carrying around and, and very quite regularly when especially when I'm going to London and I'm having a horrible day, uh, I am sort of thinking, Pratt. actually, maybe, maybe lorry driving <laughs> is the way forward. They should have a freighter <laughs> version of a coach. A freight? Yeah, to get rid of the passengers, just carry yeah. freight. But now yeah. it's essentially a lorry. Yeah, like I say, they call it a lorry, <laughs> Carlos. That's what it, yeah, they call it a truck. That's what <laughs> <Okay>. it is. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, anyway. Oh, is this me? I can't remember. Uh, no, no, no. It's, oh. it's, it's oh, a no, lovely Steph. 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 Yeah, yeah. Steph, there we go. Sorry. So this is from Breaking Travel News. Um mm. We're on the Finnair launches pilot recruitment drive, yes? Yeah, that's the one, yes. All right. So Finnair prepares for growth of its, or in its long-haul traffic starting in 2016 and begins the biggest recruitment drive in company history. So in addition to the approximately 70 pilots and 130 cabin attendants recruited this year, the company is seeking to recruit 100 new pilots and 300 new cabin crew members. Some 50 people are also hired to perform customer service tasks and other functions during the spring. In October, excuse uh, the rude delivery. interruption. Sorry about that. <laughs> well, first, I, I paused for a second there because I thought <laughs> it was one of my dogs. No, 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 no. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we have a visitor, and as, uh, as I say, we, we don't have a doorbell. We don't need one. He's called Alfie. Uh, <laughs> but it's all right. So just give it a minute. It'll be fine. There we go. Sounds good. No worries. So, uh, yeah, so some 50 people are also hired to perform customer service tasks and other functions during the spring. Uh, in October, Finnair took delivery of its first A350XWB aircraft, and altogether, 19 have been ordered. Uh, the new wide-body aircraft are the engine of Finnair's growth and add capacity to its long-haul traffic from spring 2016 onwards. Increasing capacity also increases the need for personnel. Earlier this year, Finnair stated that growth translates to approximately 1,000 new jobs by 2020. Uh, we are encouraged, or we are courageously driving the growth of our business and making recruitments which are significant in scale, not just for Finnair, but for Finland, said Finnair. Senior Vice President, Human Resources, I'm not going to pronounce that name no, correctly. No, I don't blame you. Yes. Aija Hakakari? Yes. Uh, we'll call it Aija, that's fine. <laughs> but anyway, it's the Finnair Senior Vice President mm. for Human Resources. So Absolutely. they go that's on, fine. due to the nature of flying personnel's work and the scale of the recruitment, it takes time to organize the selection process and trainings. We want to start early, keeping an eye especially on 2017 when our growth intensifies. At the same time, starting these recruitments gives us opportunities to grow even more courageously should the market situation allow it. Fantastic. So, yeah, our, visit, our, vi our visitors, by the way, the visitors to, to um, the Bluebell studio, uh, were Jehovah's Witnesses. Oh, cool. <laughs> uh, following on. Uh, so, the, uh, the, so Finnair then, um, that story. Part, one of the things we talk about quite a bit as well, and I think as well Jeff does and you guys too, is this, this supposed polish shortage. Sure. Um, really? I mean, yeah, there, I mean, there's supposed to be an actual pilot shortage. Yeah. But I, I know two pilots, in fact, who would, who would love a job 
mm. flying, and they've got their commercial licenses and everything. Right. But okay. um, Stuart being one of them. Yeah. Well, yes. Uh, yeah. But it's all about the hours thing, isn't it, Steph? You, you, you know, the airlines yeah. don't seem to want to know you unless you've got um, uh, thousands and thousands of hours. Well, here, I mean, it's essentially fifteen hundred. I mean, there's some exceptions mm. to that and differences, but that's a long, long time to work your way up towards if you're mm. just going through, you know, especially from the civilian route, uh, earning all your ratings. And then directing or having other odd aviation jobs, 1,500 hours is, is a lot. You know, I've been flying for, what, we'll get into this a little bit more later, but almost five years, I guess, and I have mm. 300 hours. I mean, wow. not that I'm flying all the time or trying to have a, a career in aviation, but it takes a long time to build those hours. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah. A friend, friend of mine has just started his type rating for the A319 because he's, he's hopefully, fingers crossed, got a, a, a full-time job and i mean he's been full-time airline you know flying and, and but he's been doing that for like as long as i can remember i mean since he was at school i mean the the guy is and he's sort of you know it's, he's only just now sort of got to the stage where hopefully he can make a living out of it which I but hope. conversely you know I, I do know that the um especially the regional carriers here are recruiting very heavily for mm. people who are close to you know just talking to some of the flight instructors at the mm. flight school where i i fly out of um a lot of them are being recruited very heavily by the regional airlines at this mm. time. No, that's so. good. Mm, it's good. It is good. Yeah. Uh, it's, 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 well, so anyone listening who's they basically persevere, get those hours up. That, that's oh, yeah. what you've got to do, isn't it? By the stick, stick with it, mm -hmm. like, like I'm trying to. Indeed, <laughs> absolutely. So, so next, uh, next, the final story. story. Um, breaking news, travel again, mm -hmm. and uh, this is quite cool. This one, um, although this is something I use anyway myself. Yeah, flight um, radar, I'm sure yeah. pretty much everyone in the chat room, including Dr. Steph, uses mm. um, EasyJet. Uh, yep. to offer live aircraft tracking with Flight Radar 24. So EasyJet have announced that it has further enhanced its award-winning mobile app by adding live aircraft tracking functionality directly from Flight Radar 24. The airline is the first in the world to have uh, collaborated with Flight Radar 24 to integrate it, uh, the feature into its mobile app, meaning passengers can view the exact whereabouts of their aircraft uh, they're due to fly on in real time uh, up to three hours before their flight. Family and friends of passengers can also track their loved one's uh, flight ahead of their travel. The feature is a result uh, of a purpose-built software development kit that was specially created for EasyJet by Flight Radar 24 and uses GPS information that is sent from uh, EasyJet's 240-plus aircraft. The flight tracking software, which went live on the app last week, will show the aircraft's route speed, type of aircraft, altitude, distance travelled, and total distance to destination. James Millett, EasyJet's head of digital, said, We're delighted to have launched the live location-based tracking uh, to our award-winning app. More than 800,000 customers use their app every week to make travel across the network of more than 780 routes even easier. And it's fast becoming the essential travel companion for the generation EasyJet. In addition to the new feature, EasyJet have added uh, 3D touch functionality to its app, meaning users of the iPhone 6s, uh, or 6s and iPhone 6s uh, Plus, can benefit from getting to four key app areas even quicker. By pressing the deeply on the app icon, users can jump to book flight, my flights, boarding passes, and flight tracker options instantly. In recent years, EasyJet has embraced technology to help make passengers' journeys even more seamless. And EasyJet's app is the fastest airline app available and has now been downloaded more than 14.5 million times. Mm -hmm. uh, see, I just don't see... Uh, you'll have to forgive me 
uh, it, my, my sort of lack of interest in this, but uh, I mean, surely those who are interested in tracking flights are already doing it via Flight Radar 24. 24. Anyway, I'm yeah. not quite sure right. why. By in, in I think this is maybe for those who aren't doing that um, mm. already. Yeah. I, I you mean, know, if they have the, the app for EasyJet and they're flying with them. Because not, not everyone... I think not everyone has Flight Radar 24. No. Th those, those who are no. not geeky, like... You no, know, I know, but those who are interested in mm. flight and tracking their flight will already know about... I mean, un unless you've missed it, I don't really see uh, how, how useful that information is to you as an ordinary customer. Yeah. Can you see what I mean? I, I mean, I mean I've, I've caught airlines out before using this app. Right. A few times, you know, Thompson, okay. um, which you've probably heard of in the UK here, Steph, Thompson Airlines. Yep. Um, you know, we, I've caught those guys out before using this app when they've told me that the aircraft is due to land and it's, it's going to be ready to take that. And I've said, no, it's not because it's not even left you know, where it's coming right. from yet. Okay. Uh, and they look at you as if to say, how the hell do you know that? Yes, uh, well, yes. I've got Flight Rider 24 yes. and I can see. Because I'm a massive geek. I know, because yes. I'm a massive geek. <laughs> uh, and, I, and I can see that it, for the customers of EasyJet, you know, mm. they could do the similar thing with this. You know, if their aircraft yeah. has been delayed and, and they're told, yes, it will be here in half an hour, mm. and they can look on there and find say, out, oh, no, no, it's not. You're telling big You're telling a lie. Yes. I know. It's mm. cool. Like, do you use Flight Rider, uh, Radar 24? Yeah, I do all the time, actually. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a good app. Uh, well, exactly. App. Most people, yeah. most people who do uh, who who do is do exactly that, don't they? Yeah, it's oh, good. A whole bunch I'm of like... aviation nerds when it comes <laughs> to that. <laughs> absolutely, and there's nothing wrong with that. Let me there tell you, there is not. No. <laughs> absolutely. So that was the last uh, news story for mm. this segment. Um, we have got a segment from Pilot Pip. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and then after that, we're gonna we're gonna skip the military this week because we're kind of uh, yes yes been things short have gone horribly wrong. So sorry about that. We'll we'll make sure that we but, post them in the Facebook. Uh, we'll put them in the Facebook feed so that you can catch up on the military. But next week we do have quite a good military top ten to bring you. Oh, do we? Uh, yeah, in the top in the top mm. ten for next week of the military sort of segment. So we're gonna give, bring that to you in next week's show. Fantastic, sounds good. So we are gonna uh, play for you the legend that is Pilot Pitt. Absolutely, in yeah. the segment he sent us in, which is all about. About uh, NATS, the National uh, Air Traffic Control oh, cool. Service here in yeah, the UK. That's be interesting. So uh, that's we're nice. going to play that segment for you right now. Plane safety from the flight deck with Pilot Pip. Hi everyone, Pip here again. Now, yesterday I attended the second of two sessions, training sessions, down at SWANIC, the National Air Traffic Services Centre. Uh, these are sessions that they run throughout the year, primarily for training air traffic controllers, but at which they also invite as an open invitation for commercial pilots to come along and sit in on these sessions and give their input. And it's a great opportunity for pilots and air traffic controllers to meet face to face and ask each other questions and swap ideas. So I thought what I would do in this just very short segment is just give you a little bit of information on NATS, the National Air Traffic Services. I'm going to go into a bit more detail about my particular visits and what I got up to and some of the things I learnt in the next episode of Plane Safety Podcast. But for now, I just thought I'd give you quick info on Hello. NATS, who they are and Hello. what they do, where they come from. And NATS is actually a, a private company. It used to be a government subsidised department, but now it's all privately run and privately funded. And that isn't the only air traffic service provider in the country, although it is by far the largest. 
and it can trace its history all the way back to the very beginnings of air traffic control, which actually was at Croydon Airport, which is the world's first air traffic control uh, regime. And over the years, it's gone through various uh, guises and has moved from location to location. But these days, they have several sites located across the country, but mainly up at Prestwick, up in Scotland, where they provide the oceanic control and oceanic clearance for the North Atlantic crossings and the, the NATS tracks, not to be confused with National Air Traffic Services, NATS, in that sense, stands for the North Atlantic Tracks System, uh, which are the uh, pre-published routes across the North Atlantic that the airlines fly day to day. And then their other main centre is down at Swanwick. They've got a few sites down there. Swanwick, just to the south of Southampton Airport. Now, up until a few years ago, they were actually based at West Drayton near Heathrow. And so that was one of the very first things I learnt, actually, when I was going down to these sessions that just the night before I just Google mapped to see where I was going believing it was somewhere near Heathrow and I was a bit shocked to find out it was actually all the way down at Southampton so double the distance which means I had to get up at the crack of dawn to get there but that's another story and Nats is actually a quite a big company they employ something around 5,000 people and only a, a small fraction of that actually are air traffic controllers I think something in the order of 500 controllers work at the main Swanwick Centre then with probably a few hundred others scattered at various airports across the UK. So the the largest portion of their employees are actually uh, technicians and HR and development people and IT and all this kind of thing. So, I mean, they're a huge company and they don't just work in the UK. They bid for contracts across the world and, and indeed they do provide air traffic control services at many locations across the world, not just here in the UK. And actually, Nats is split into two uh, separate entities. You've got NERL, which stands for the Nats En Route PLC, and that's the part that provides civilian air traffic control services in the UK and is regulated by the CAA, just like any airline is regulated by the CAA. So are Nats, and they ensure that the what Nats are providing is, is safe and consistent with UK um air transport regulation and then there's the other side of the the company which is nsl which stands for nats traffic uh, nats services limited which is the part that operates as a, a free company in the open market and bids for contracts around the world so down in the main swanwick center down near southampton airport that's where the majority of their controllers are based and these are the guys providing air traffic control services for all the uk upper airspace and all the uk controlled airspace and those guys can be broadly uh, categorised into two groups. You have terminal area controllers, or TA as they like to call it, and the sector area controllers. I think that's the right terminology they use, sector area. I'm not quite so sure now, I'd have to check on that one. But basically, the sector area controllers are the higher airspace people who are managing all the various airspace sectors around the UK. And UK airspace, from an air traffic control point of view, is divided up into many, many different sectors. They've all got numbers. And if you ever get a chance to visit the control room at Swanwick, which incidentally is about the size of a football pitch, it's just enormous. You'll see all the different radar screens and radar posts around the room, each controlling a different sector. And they're numbered, I forget, something like 1 through to, to 50. And then the terminal area controllers are typically dealing with the lower airspace around all the UK airports, so terminal control. It's also noteworthy that the military air traffic guys, or at least some of them, are also based at Swanwick and work side by side with their civilian counterparts. So you also have an element of military air traffic control being managed in the NATS uh, operation centre. 
And within those varieties of controllers, the sector area and the terminal control area, controllers, I learned, stick to just one or two sectors each. In fact, that's all they're allowed to do is just to control, learn and manage one sector. They often have a secondary sector, which they can also do, but not more than that. So they can't just turn up every morning at nine o'clock and just get allocated to a random sector around the UK. They're just trained and qualified on one or maybe two particular sectors, which is something I had no idea about. I assumed wrongly that being an air traffic controller meant you could just do the job wherever, but it really doesn't. And as such, they have to keep up uh, minimum currency requirements, exactly the same as we do as, as pilots. We have to make so many takeoff and landings to be current. And so an air traffic controller needs to log a particular minimum number of hours on each sector to remain current on that. And I believe the minimum they need to do is 12 hours per month, which actually, when you think about it, isn't that much. But if they fall behind on that, if they're not doing their 12 hours a month, then they are not qualified anymore to, to be an air traffic controller. So they need to stay current. And then moving away from the main uh, centres at Swanwick and Prestwick, then you've also got Nats are responsible for several of the big, in fact, most of the big UK airports. Now, these are contracts that they've bid for and won. So there are UK airports that are their air traffic control services are managed by other companies. But uh, Nats, as it stands today, are responsible for the following 14 UK airports in the provision of air traffic services. So London Heathrow, uh, Southampton, Aberdeen, Glasgow, Gatwick, London City Airport, Luton, Stansted, so all the London airports really, Cardiff, Bristol, Farnborough, Manchester, Belfast, Edinburgh, uh, Biggin Hill, Sumberg, which is up in uh, one of the Scottish islands, Aberforth, Hebrides, Larkhill and West Frew, wherever that is. So those are the 14 airports that Nats uh, has contracts with. And as I say, they also have their fingers in all sorts of pies. They also provide ATC engineering services to a number of airports. They have contracts with the, the military, with the UK defence in uh, providing aeronautical data, defence consulting, um, training and surveillance, and also engineering as well to uh, UK military. So it was quite a fascinating couple of days for me to go down and take part in this training. And as I say, I'll talk about that in depth in another episode of Plane Safety Podcast. But it was a, a, I'd say now it was a great opportunity to go and meet face-to-face -face the controllers to, to swap ideas and just to get a glimpse of what it is they were doing. And i got to admit, I was largely lost when I sat with them in the air traffic control center trying to keep up with what was going on on their radar screens and how they were managing the whole thing was, was quite beyond me. It takes quite a lot of training to become an air traffic controller. Nats also uh, runs their own air traffic control college where you can go and learn to be an air traffic controller. And it takes about two years to go through that process. But in the couple of hours I spent them, I was totally lost after a few minutes. It was really quite impressive what they do. And the, the one final thought I'll leave you with, this is very sexist and a very um, chauvinistic, so I apologise to anyone who this may offend, but it's the truth, unfortunately. We often fly around and us guys will hear a, a very nice female voice come over the radio and we'll often make the, a quip. You know, one person will say, oh, she sounds really cute, and the other guy will say, ah, she's probably a 300-pound monster with no teeth. But actually, I can tell you now, I can put this debate to bed once and for all. Having been down and visited the air traffic control, I can tell you now for a fact that all of the female controllers, which make up probably about half of the controller 
population are all absolutely lovely and gorgeous. So I'll be making no more jokes at the expense of uh, air traffic controllers over the radio. Anyway, that's all I've got to say for the moment on air traffic control and NATS. I'll be back with another segment soon, and you can catch up with me very soon, I hope, on a full episode of Plane Safety Podcast. For now, take care and see you all later. Bye. Find this and other great shows at the Aviation Media Network. The Voices in Your Head.com. The Plane Talking UK podcast is a voluntary project that aims to keep you informed with the latest aviation-related stories from newswires across the globe. Producing our content does cost money, though. If you enjoy our show, why not help us keep on the air by making a donation towards the server and website hosting fees through PayPal. Any contributions would be greatly appreciated. Are you an Amazon user? If so, why not do your shopping through the link on our website? There's no cost to yourself, and Amazon pays us a small referral fee on qualifying purchases. To find out more about the show and to meet the team, take yourself to our website www.plaintalkinguk.com or find us on facebook at facebook.com forward slash uk on twitter via at uk or get in touch via email on podcast at plaintalkinguk.com thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening and we're back we are indeed thanks very much uh Pip for that segment, yeah. for sending that in. That's really interesting. I, you don't sort of, I, I, they sort of, well, I mean, I suppose you guys are more aware of them than, than I would ever ATC, be. ATC, yeah. But just sort of keeping keeping the uh, the, the sky safe, basically. No, I, I haven't had a lot yet in my my uh, mm-hmm. training to do with, I mean, obviously we have um, someone in the, in the control room at the, at the flying club where I'm flying, mm-hmm. so I talk to him. Yes, um, okay. And the closest I've come really is talking to Watersham, uh, radar, which is um, uh, one of the military air bases in uh, on the east coast here in Suffolk, and I've talked to those guys there, mm. which is probably the closest I've ever come to being sort of talked to by Put some, tra- someone with, air traffic a, with a radar yes. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. but um, that's uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. So thanks a lot for that, Pip. Um, don't forget, you can catch Pip on his show on yes. the Plane Safety Podcast. Yes, and he mentioned at the end there, hopefully there'll be a new one to listen yes, to very, to listen very soon. soon. On uh, iTunes, yep. and uh, check out his website, www.planesafety.com. Also, don't forget, he is doing, because he's silly like that, he's doing oh, the God, London yeah, Marathon. I don't know what's the matter with who him. Would, who would run a marathon? Well, uh, quite right, absolutely. Crazy. You tell him. Yeah, <laughs> literally. Insane. Literally. I know. It's, uh, but it's all for a good cause. That's the main thing. Yes. And uh, as I say, Carl will... Uh, Post the link again. Yeah, we've got the uh, link just to, to remesh uh, to donate. So yeah. please do donate because yeah. uh, he's mad, but uh, it'd be a lot easier for him <laughs> to do it way. if he knows that he's uh, that he you know that he's raising lots of money for his chosen yeah. charity. But uh, anyway, we do have a fantastic guest. We do. And uh, before we bring the show to a close this week, it we're going to have a little chat, aren't we? A little chat so. with Doctor Seth. So those of you who listen to APG mm. obviously know that uh, she's a co-host on that great show. Mm. But uh, I'd, w- it'd be nice to have a bit of background, really, Steph, as to, uh, as to, yeah. to how your love and passion of aviation started. And, uh, you know, well, when, uh, what, what sort of kicked things off for you? Oh, no, should we start at the very beginning? Yeah, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think I kind of, well, I don't think I really said this earlier, but, you know, I grew up in um, just outside of Chicago. And, uh, you know, as a small child, my dad actually worked almost literally across the street from Midway Airport there. Mm. Um, and at the time, it was a very 
and still is a, a fairly accessible airport, but we could basically stand outside of his work and watch airplanes take off and land all day long. And well, that, you know, that was just the neatest thing for, for a kid. And uh, at but the time, it, we could actually even go into the airport and through security, you didn't need a ticket or anything. And wow. stand out there and watch <laughs> planes take off and land, you know, just from the terminal. So Yeah, you can't, about, you can't ever room. imagine that, that happening now. That does actually sound no. like your idea of heaven, Carl. Yeah, <laughs> it does, yeah. Yeah, that, that's not coming back. But, no, I know. You know many, many years ago at this point. But um, I actually never really thought about flying aircraft, flying an airplane myself after, I mean, growing up for a very, very long time. Um, really, I always thought I was going to go into uh, be a meteorologist. I was always very fascinated by weather and, and weather-related phenomena. Mm. And then I found out how much math was involved with being a meteorologist. <laughs> and I can't stand math. Oh, no. <laughs> this is not my strong suit. It makes me angry even thinking about it. So um, I liked other types of sciences and got interested in medicine stuff. And then that's how I got into to going to medical school and being a physician, still not thinking about flying at all during that point. Um, you know, if anything, my youngest brother was always the big aviation guy, you know, certainly enjoyed flying, watching aircraft, all that type of stuff. But he was always the one like on Microsoft Flight Simulator. And I, I think I tried it one time and crashed the plane right. immediately okay. and gave up. So, um, yeah. But then as it, as it turns out, you know, I made it all the way through undergrad, medical school, through, uh, got into residency. Um, and one of my co-residents who I was working with at the time, her husband was a flight instructor. And I got to be really good friends with them. And I would, um, they had a small kid at the time who was, I think, two or three years old. And I would help them out because he'd be working at the FBO on the weekends and she would have to be on call sometimes, um, as we all were. So if they were both away at the same time, a lot of times I would babysit for them. And, it, you know, they would always pay me just a very small amount. And I was like, guys, that's, that's kind of silly. You don't have to do that. And he's like, well, how about come flying one time instead? I was like, well, that sounds like a fair trade. I'll do that. And uh, I should have never gone because it was just, <laughs> you know, hook, line, and sinker right there. Uh, you know, it was, it was so much fun. It was great. So I had to keep up with it. So that was back, I think I did my first like introductory flight. I looked this up the other day. It was January 2010. Blimey. So, and then by, I didn't do whole, a whole lot with it during that year because really just time-wise and, and financially, I didn't have the, the funds to do it. But later on that summer, um, coming out of my second year of residency into my third year of residency, time became a little bit more freed up for me. And I was able to do some moonlighting work on the side, so I had a little extra cash in my pocket. So I was able to go about and uh, start working on getting my pri private pilot certificate. I mean, we, we say this every single time, don't we? But it, you don't really realize the, the, the money involved in just mm. even getting yeah. a few hours under your belt, isn't it? I mean, mm. I mean, you're certainly finding, uh, Carl, that it's not the cheapest experience. And yes. careful negotiations with the wife have to uh, take place almost hourly, I, know. I think, with, with, with the matter. I mean, is it, is it any cheaper? Because, I mean, flying is a lot more commonplace, obviously, in, in the States there. I mean, is it any cheaper than... than I, mean, I mean, I presume it's not a cheap thing Oh, yeah, to do, I, but... I think it's a lot... Um, I'm sorry, I was having... I really, you sounded very faint and quiet there, Matt, but I think I heard your question okay. Yeah, um, yeah I think it's a lot, you know, it's not cheap, mm. but in terms of on that spectrum of affordability, I think it is more affordable for us. Mm. Um, you know, I was lucky in that I had a good friend who was also my flight instructor, so um, he, he knew me well enough to know that I was going to do all the groundwork yeah. on my own, so we didn't really ever spend any time doing formal ground school yeah. um it's not required as part of one you know part 61 training here if you're doing you know there's two 
I don't know how it is in the UK, but here there's basically two paths to getting, you know, your certificates and ratings and that type of thing. You can go through part 61, which is basically more of a flexible schedule and you can kind of set your own, you know, path through everything versus part 141, which is very formal and standardized. Um, but theoretically you could do in less hours type of a, a thing because it has more stringent, um, like syllabus and requirements mm. and all of that. So I did it through part one, part 61, um, and basically did all of the ground school stuff on my own. So I didn't spend any money doing that. Um, you know, I was flying out of a fairly small airport. Uh, we flew a 172. I was with the exact same airplane. Gas was relatively, I think it's actually a lot cheaper now than it was at the time. Um, but I think it was in the neighborhood of $5 a gallon, something like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't remember the total cost it was for me to get my private pilot certificate, but it wasn't terribly no. astronomical. No, no, no. So, so out of the two, then the 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 being a physician and flying, presumably flying, is the is is the one. Do you, what do you want to do with it? You know, that's a great question. I I still don't know. For now, it's all just just for fun. Um, mm. And I've actually worked my way through. I have my instrument rating and my commercial certificate. I got a seaplane uh, rating, and um, I really want to do gliders and aerobatics and mm. uh, oh, working wow. on my multi-engine right now. So it's, oh, all, yeah. it's all just more about learning and, and keeping that learning process going mm. for right now. Um, how's, how's, know, your we'll mul how's your multi-engine uh, rating thing going, Steph? Uh, slowly right now. Uh, okay. Time has <laughs> become an issue again for some reason. <laughs> um, and it, that's, you want to talk about expensive things to do, that's very expensive. Really? Um, but fortunately, it probably won't require a whole lot of hours, so it's not going to be too bad. I was going, just picking up with it after, afterwards, will we? Hmm? Price-wise, Steph, I'm, I'm just sort of looking on my currency converter thing here to, to what I pay for an hour's um, lesson here in the UK, and it's coming out around about $211 for Ooh. an hour. That's what it costs yep. me here in the UK for an hour's worth of tuition. In what aircraft? Uh, that's in the 150. Cessna 150. Wow. Yeah. I think in the 172 um, Per hour with the instructor, it was just over a hundred dollars. Wow, that's like yeah. uh, <laughs> that's yeah. like half. I mean, that was five years ago. Oh wow. <laughs> uh, okay. I mean, for the for the multi-engine aircraft that I'm flying now, the Seneca with instruction mm. is three hundred dollars an hour. Gosh, yeah, really. So, mm, but still significantly cheaper than it is. It's in the still UK. probably less than what you're actually paying mm. for the 150, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, <laughs> yeah. to hire, I think to Basically hire the just, aircraft, uh, the, uh, to hire the 150 um, yourself once you've passed here at the Flying Club where I am here, um, it works out. I'm just looking here. It works out. Yeah, about 196 dollars an hour with um, wow. with fuel. And for me to fly the, just to fly the, um, the Piper Aero, which is the complex aircraft with the retractable landing gear and all of that, um, I think it's $140 an hour Gosh. without instruction. Yeah, it's a bit more affordable. We're going to turn our attentions to the chat room just for a moment. We've got some great sure. questions coming in. Uh, one, a couple from Tony here. The first one was, can you ask Steph about her skydiving? <laughs> <laughs> sure. So, uh, you know... Um, I never thought I would be skydiving, that's, that's for sure. If I never thought I was going to be flying aircraft, I definitely <laughs> yeah. never thought I would be skydiving. Um, but basically, the uh, airport and the FBO where I learned how to, uh, how to fly had a skydiving school on the premises. Oh, wow. um, so from day one, I was just talking with and interacting with all these skydivers. Um, and a lot of people who, were, who I was flying with were also um, part of that as well. And, you know, it's a, it's a really cool sport. And I actually... I think I did my first uh, tandem jump before I really even got into um, 
flying too much. Mm. I was like, okay, that was fun, uh, you know, but I'm never doing that again <laughs> type of a thing. And, and at the time, really, they're both kind of expensive sports and hobbies. So there was money for one or the other and definitely flying one out over that. But over the years, you know, as I became friends with those guys, I got talked into doing more and more tandem jumps. And mm. eventually I'd done four tandem jumps. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I can't do any more tandem jumps. If I'm going to, you know, continue to jump out of an airplane, yeah. need to learn how to do this for myself. Doing, and then yeah, absolutely. Got and have the freedom to sort of fly, you know, sort of land and, and take your own course and things. Yeah. Like. You know what? It's, I, I'm really, I'm so glad I did it. It's, it's a lot of fun. There's a lot to learn with it, to mm. be honest. Um, it teaches you a lot about, um, body awareness and position and knowing how knowing what you're doing with yourself in space and you really get to feel those aerodynamic forces um you know on yourself which is kind of interesting you know you know if you move a certain way you're going to turn in that direction if you bring your knee up it's going to turn you in the other direction um yeah it's it's really neat so it's so, forwards backwards all that uh, well i mean and i know as one one of my friends um i think we've we've it we've um Shown, showed his video on here a few weeks ago and he he's so obsessed by it now he's going to start doing tandem dunks and he wants to be able to do it himself the uh, just looking at the the cost at our club here steph uh the one where i'm learning to fly because we obviously have a parachute club mm. which mm -hmm. is on, linked on the side of the flying club not they're not part of the same company but they're two separate companies but they're they use the the airfield where i learned to fly which can be a challenge sometimes i will say <laughs> yeah my first um, solo i'll tell you about that too had, <laughs> involves skydivers um but no for for a tandem jump here steph uh, for a one off you know if you're going up there it works out in us dollars at 453 dollars what for a tandem no. yeah it would not cost i mean i think i paid 180 dollars for most of my tandem jumps do you know right. what? We really need yeah, to. We just need to move. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. In fact, Matty Fab has put us with there because he's got to put he's got to put lots of hours in for um, for what he's doing there. And he was saying, sure. I think we all need to go and get our hours up yeah, in the states. Never mind, never mind trying to do it here. Yeah. Sort of bankrupt. And a lot ourselves. of people do. I mean, yeah. the, the flight school where I learned how to fly, we had a lot of people, especially from um, Switzerland. Yeah. Coming over to do just hours building. Mm. Yeah, and no, on no, that's crazy, right? Uh, another cracking question here. This one again is from Tony. Is uh, a question for Steph. Which APG would be the best flight instructor? <laughs> oh, I, I think probably the clear winner there is Miami Brick. If you want your, uh, uh, he's talking about hosts, I guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you want your. No, I love love Rick to death, but yeah. <laughs> he'd be very, very thorough. You would definitely learn a lot, but um, I'd probably not be the greatest flight instructor, um, at least not for primary flight training yeah. because, man, I, I even have a hard time in a car letting someone else drive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I'm kind point, of like yeah. climbing up the walls yeah, the, yeah, the window. Yeah. Is, you You're know, not I alone there. Yeah. So I'm a terrible passenger. I would not be a good, well. good instructor. <laughs> so Matty Five in the chat room, and Steph has asked, uh, what's the end goal for your aviation training? Yeah, so I think the, you know, really thinking about the end goal, it's being able to fly without having to spend a lot of money on it. So I have my commercial certificate. So, you know, theoretically I can go out and use that and be paid to fly or at least pay for, or at least not have to pay so much out of pocket to, to mm. fly maybe just my own time and, and effort but um yeah I, there's some opportunities out there and and they're none of them are firm or finalized yet but either to fly um you know with some skydiving related stuff or even um with friends of mine that i met along the way who who do various types of flying and who are always looking for for co-pilots to join them um, especially once i have my multi-engine rating that might be more feasible as well um, but it's just about being able to go out and fly and, and not have it be such a financial 
burden, hopefully. Yeah, no, I'll bet. Yeah, but to keep doing it and, and keep learning too, that's, that's really, you know, one Absolutely. of the end goals. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, there were a couple of questions from Masher, and I'll take the first one. This is uh, uh, going back to the APG. Uh, how did your involvement in the APG actually start? Yeah, good question. Um, uh, so I think I actually started, I was trying to think about this the other day too, I started listening to the APG show somewhere around episode 60. So he was already, you know, into yeah. it for quite a while. And that, that was about the time I really even discovered podcasts because yeah, I didn't yeah. really listen to podcasts before that. Um, so I started listening and I listened for quite a long time before I even sent in any feedback. And, and around that time I was actually training for my first marathon. So it was nice to have, <laughs> oh, you know, no, at the time it was like an hour one. and a half long podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that was great for my training friends. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I could listen to that and, and get mm. through, you know, 10 miles or whatever and, and yeah. In just one podcast. So I started listening and then I think I sent in, I don't even remember what I sent feedback about. It was something related to flight training. Mm -hmm. And I kind of said, because by that point I knew that Captain Jeff was a big uh, fan of IPAs and, and beer. And I was like, yeah. you know, I love IPAs. If you're ever in Charlotte, let me know. We'll go out and get some IPAs. And I'll show you all mm -hmm. the wonderful North Carolina um, offerings. Wow. So he actually took me up on that. And um, we went out, gosh, I don't I think how long ago that was. Wasn't the beginning of this year, the beginning of last year. Mm. So sometime in February or March, I think yeah. it was. It was right yeah. after I got. I went to on a trip to India for a wedding, which was awesome. Cool. It was right back, right after I got back from that. Um, we went out and and sampled quite a few North Carolina um, beers and IPAs, and had a great time. And then um, he called me up again later that summer. He was in town for something different, and we went out and had some barbecue and beers. And then the third time around was. He, he said, hey, I'm in town again, but, oh, I have to record a show. Um, do you want to join me on, in recording the show? And I'm going, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like fun. <laughs> Not sure what I'm going to add to this, but, but yeah, we'll give it a try and, and see how it goes. Yeah. And, and that's how that started. I mean, you have to really love it, don't you? I mean, this is the thing. I mean, we, we, do, we do a podcast every single week. Mm, and yeah. uh, anybody who's ever done any kind of podcasting knows how much is involved, how much technology is yeah, involved, especially yeah. if you're stupid and you want to do it live every week. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we, get, we can talk about... Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Things are prone to falling things. apart when you don't want them to. I've, I've got to say, though, Steph, I said, to you that, I said this to you before uh, on Twitter. I've, I've, got to say, I've, I've been listening to APG now since... since you know the yeah. first episode since, since birth since birth right. and, um, longer than i have probably yeah, yeah I, I you know i i mean i think everyone in the chat room will agree that you know since um jeff got uh, got you and rick on the show it's just added a massive huge mm. dynamic to the show yeah. and i think it's fact that you know it's made the show that's huge you know it's really good well thanks we, we really appreciate hearing that that means a lot to us and you know we try and have have a good time and keep it lighthearted, but also keep the, the mm. content mm. um high quality as well and have a lot of good information yeah to definitely pass along. I, I must admit from our from from our point of view because now that we're doing it live one of the things that we found really interesting like like what we're doing now here is because you've got people watching it live as you do it and of course people are firing questions yeah um, especially right. when you've Loads got a guest and it's lovely you you know to, people are asking questions that i wouldn't have even considered yeah. thinking I and mean, they're, they're brilliant questions so thanks to everyone in the chat room who's, so, who's right, chipping we're, in. you know if we're sitting there and we're talking about something and we're going yeah we don't really know a whole lot about that mm. yeah. somebody will Something know yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll chime right in and, and let us know and we can yeah. hopefully if we're paying attention to the chat room we can yeah absolutely bring it up so masha uh has sent a question in on the chat room then uh what part of the flight training did you find the hardest to master Ooh, that's a yeah, toughie that's it so i guess we could break that up by um 
different things that I've worked on. I think initially, I mean, and this is probably true for anyone going through, well, maybe for, maybe not for everyone, but at least for me, you know, landings initially were, that's always the hardest to master because you want them to be, you want them to be good. Um, but it just takes a lot of, a lot of time and repetition and doing it over and over and over again and not worrying about the ones that maybe aren't the greasers and mm. learning from it and, you know, I remember, and it was right before I was ready to take my check ride too for my private pilot certificate. Um, all of a sudden, I just had the hardest time keeping myself lined up with the center line, and it wasn't an issue before that. And I don't know what it was. It was just something, you know, uh, either a mental block or I, I don't know. But it was like the week before I was going to take my check ride. All of a sudden, I just could not stay with the center line coming in on final. Um, but then, fortunately, got over that. I, I don't know what that was about, but. So that was, you know, for private pilot training, I think it was, it was that, um, let's see, instrument flying, um, I don't know, there's a lot that goes into that instrument flying, um, it's probably all equally difficult, but I, I really like instrument flying, it's a lot of fun, um, I like the, the challenges that come along with that, um, you know, doing the float plane rating, the seaplane rating was Wow. Heck of a lot of fun as well. Mm. Um, but that's that was tricky too because, you know, you're landing on, at least for where I did it, we were flying on a, uh, a river. So, you know, you have to learn a lot about how to um, know and figure out where the wind direction is coming from without having, you know, any kind of wind sock or someone telling you where it's coming from. Uh, There's a lot of challenges with that. It was a lot of fun though. Oh, no, it's crazy. Oh. I, haven't, I haven't, I've never been on a float plane, but... Um... I've, um, I've well, I say never been on a float plane. I've had a, I've had a, a seaplane flight, but that was only mm. half an hour. Never flown a float plane though, but no. um, that was pretty yeah. cool. You've only flown a Cessna so far. Yeah, oh, no, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's hardly. No, I've flown a one seven two now. Oh, have you? I have yeah, got a one seven two on my a belt now. Yeah, just carries more people. Uh, admittedly, yeah, just like a one. Uh, admittedly, well, though, to be yeah. to be fair, it's 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 several planes more than I've ever flown. So I suppose we should we should we should. I'll take you up. I, should, I should shut up. Really, yeah. Yeah. absolutely. We're back back to the chat room. Um, uh, Sirt has asked a, a really great question. Actually, uh, what what is Steph's best flying experience? And then after that, what's the worst experience you've had? <laughs> oh gosh, <laughs> I mean, so best flying experience, and I think we've talked about this before, but obviously, you know. First solo always stands out as... as yeah, tell us a bit about your first amazing. solo, stuff. yeah. Sure, and, and this goes back to, you know, I think the day before I did my first solo, we were just mm. over and over and over doing landings just to make sure that they were consistent and I didn't have any concerns about them. And, you know, after the fact, my flight instructor actually told me he was going to let me do it that day, but then he's like, well, eh, we'll just we'll come back the next day and do a few more and, and just make sure. Mm. And uh, I had no idea that he was going to let me go out on my, my first solo because I think I only had 12 hours maybe oh wow um and the first two of those were one was a discovery flight and the other one was a flight where i was technically sitting in the <laughs> front seat there but i don't know that i did most of the flying mm. we we went took a little sightseeing trip um so yeah i mean basically we did a couple of of takeoffs and landings touch and goes i can't mm. remember which and then he's like, okay, we'll pull back up to the, the FBO um, and take a break for a second. And he gets out and he's like, well, wait, keep the, keep the plane running. He's like, you're going to go up on and do a, your solo uh, no way. flight now. And I was like, you're kidding, right? <laughs> he's like, nope, you're ready. Go for it. 
And, you know, I mentioned that we had the skydivers at the, uh, at that airport as well. Mm. And they were very active that day. It was a, I mean, it was a nice, I guess it was still winter. It was like February or something, but you know, North Carolina, the weather's fairly decent all the time, but they were, they were jumping and I was like, okay, well, and he's like, don't worry about them. You know, they're, they know where they're going to be. They know that you're out here. You know where they're supposed to be. Obviously take care, watch out for them, mm. listen to what's going on. Um, but yeah, so then, you know, I get out there, I get taxi over to runway, uh, I think it was two, three that we were using mm. and takeoff wasn't, you know, I wasn't that nervous getting out there and then I took off and then you have this moment of, oh, I'm all by myself up here. <laughs> and yes. it surprised me because the plane flew differently without someone sitting oh, yeah. in the right seat. Mm. I agree you with know, that. Um, my flight instructor is, you know, at the time, especially quite a bit bigger than me. So that, that caught my attention at first. Mm. And, um, you know, the skydivers were actually, uh, getting out of the plane as I was coming around the pattern. So they were in the air, but the way the airport is set up, it's a big, um, basically a big triangle that's made by all of the runways. Um, and they, you know, stay in the grassy area in the center and it's, it's a big area for them to be in. So they weren't anywhere near where I needed to be, but that was like the only thing on my, my mind there. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, the skydivers are out, the skydivers are out. And, and I but think it, from, from Carl's point of view as well, actually, the, the, your, I think your highlight so far actually has been your first solo flight, wasn't it? Because it must oh, be yeah. one of the most terrifying things that you do for the very first time. Um, well, and then but it's also such a huge so confidence cool. booster too. You get down, you know, and you go, oh no, I, I can definitely do this. You know, yeah. all those hours that we spent going over and over and over mm. and it's it's it really pays off and huge confidence boost so come on then let, let, let's what's ask the let's like i say let's ask that that elephant in the room then what's the worst flight worst. experience you've had and i don't mean flying with ryanair for, or for, anything like for that for me one. yeah for me my my worst one came about a week or a week or two ago when i told uh, a military air traffic control service that i was at fourteen thousand, or no sorry sixteen thousand feet in my cessna 150 right wow yeah. uh, good <laughs> skills quite yeah, high I mean, there's then. been a lot of you know um Radio faux pas. Radio yeah. goose. Yeah. Um, yeah. Trying to think. Now, what's your worst, worst Steph? Experience. Um, it, there's been a couple involving um, being places we didn't want to be with weather building around us. Um, that's always concerning, especially in small aircraft. And um, I don't know how it is in the UK, but especially here in the summer, thunderstorms can build really quickly. Cool. Um, right. And there's been a couple of times where we're, we've planned flights that aren't terribly long flights, um, but by the time you you know, you look at the radar and you look at everything in advance. And you say, nope, this looks good. We're good to go. But by the time you get off, get in the air, all of a sudden there's this thunderstorm, you know, kind of uh, in your, that you're looking at. Um, so that's always concerning. And I'm just thinking of one in particular where I was waiting for a thunderstorm to pass. I was supposed to fly from um, Little Washington, North Carolina, down to New Bern, which is not a, a long flight at all. It takes 20 minutes. And there was a thunderstorm passing over New Bern, and I knew that. I was waiting for it to pass before I was taking off to um, go meet some friends. And, you know, where I was, it was perfectly clear. It looked fine. You could see the storm off in the distance. It looked like it was passing rather quickly. I said, okay, well, this is, you know, timing looks good. There's nothing behind it. It's all clear. And I took off and, gosh, if there wasn't really, really, really strong crosswinds, you know, just feet off the runway from... Uh, from that storm way off in the distance mm. and that really surprised me and got my attention um i can imagine it was a little scary yeah gosh i bet so we have so another... i have a lot of respect for for weather and thunderstorms and cool. yeah. Well, you, you, yeah, but you... wind that can be quite distance from 
quite but, a distance from the storm. But mm. you actually get real, really bad weather yeah. your side. I yeah. think, you know, when we get a thunderstorm yeah. here, we get a thunderstorm. Yeah. When you get one, you get a, you know... A yeah, yeah, the ground yeah, and actually, the, uh, that airport that I flew at, um, or flew out of and did all my private pilot training out of, was basically destroyed by... It was not a true tornado, but mm. they called it a gust-nado or a, a um, straight-line wind front. Mm. Wow. It, it destroyed everything. It destroyed a whole bunch of airplanes. It destroyed the FBO building. Oh, uh, I should send Ooh. pictures. That it was really. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, we, we said that like like uh, Carla said this quite often. It's like you know uh, where you are when when it snows, you get yeah, serious you get snow. snow. When it snows right. here, you just get a little bit of. St- well, you get ten flakes. Yeah, yeah. of Snow. And yeah, the, we don't get snow. We get snow. People panic like they do here yeah. when it snows. <laughs> Panic. Yeah, it's yeah, like, I know. But in the south, so the south panics over snow. Yeah, but we, we, we get, you know, an inch of snow and everything <laughs> shuts down for three days. Yeah. An inch. We, we, I, we're lucky if we get a couple of millimeters of snow, and it's just like the whole place grinds to an absolute halt. I mean, there's a, there's a hill in Norwich where where I spend a lot of time driving around, and it's uh, Grapes Hill they call it in in Norwich there, and all it takes is just just even uh, not even enough to settle sometimes, and suddenly the entire hill grinds to a halt. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Yeah, well, right. It's interesting. Right before I had that very first meetup with Captain Jeff, um, I think we had nine inches of snow here in Charlotte, nine. which is <laughs> nine. ridiculous. It, that <laughs> never happens here. And I, I didn't work for three days. I mean, the town was just. Oh, I think the city of Charlotte has like eight snowplows, <laughs> yeah, yeah. so they're not prepared for it. Oh, it dear. does happen. So, question from Matty Fab then mm. uh, in the chat room, Steph: uh, Does airline flying uh, interest you at all? Mm. Not particularly. I mean, I have a, fortunately, I have a job that I love and Mm. keeps me occupied. Um, I don't know that I would ever go that route, but, you know, things are ever constantly changing in medicine as well. So never say never, but at the time, no, not really looking towards a career in airline flying. So a question from uh, me. Oh, hello. Oh, that's good. Not, that, that's not, nice. Yes. Not in the chat room, but I'm yeah, here. Yeah. Question from me, Steph. Um, all, all the stuff that you had for when you were learning to fly, so i.e. your whiz wheel and, and all bits and pieces, have you kept all that stuff, all your, your the training, the flight training stuff you had? I have kept it, and it sits in a little suitcase box that I have in my closet, and I pull it out whenever I have an exam. <laughs> really? <laughs> Because that's about the only time I ever think I'm going to need to use it. And then even then, it doesn't get used a whole lot. <laughs> exactly. So what, what's, your, what's your, um, your GPS unit of choice then uh, when you're flying? Obviously, you have a... Yeah, the one I, so the one I have the most experience with is just the um, Garmin 430. Yeah. I like that. It does, does, it does the job for most do. of the stuff that we do. Yeah. Do you, so do you, uh, you obviously, you're obviously trying to use maps and stuff, but do you still... Uh, mm-hmm. You still obviously use your maps and stuff when you're flying because it's obviously a huge place to fly across, you know, America, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, especially where I did all my, my private pilot training, it's very rural. You talk about being in a rural area, that was a very rural area. Mm. Um, you know, and so as part of your primary flight training, you're not always using GPS and all of that. You know, you have to show that you can do dead, re- you know, on the, the cross countries that you're doing dead reckoning and uh, pilotage and all of that. So, yeah, we definitely did, did all of that, um, you know, and certainly should have paper copies of your maps with you um, for any cross-country flight and that type of thing. But typically I'm using ForeFlight for all of my um, mm. charts and maps and everything else on the iPad. Yeah. 
So, 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 so if you could pick any aeroplane in the entire world, whether it be... The question we ask everyone. We, can't, we yeah. ask this question to everyone. <laughs> it, it, uh, we'll start initially with any aircraft, any aircraft any. In the, that's any. ever existed, uh, anything at all. What's your favourite aircraft? If you could sit in the, in the seat of any aircraft fly. and fly yeah. it, yeah. which aircraft is your aircraft oh, of choice? A, that's a hard question for me to answer. I don't know that I have a favourite one. Um, All right, I'll, I'll, I'll take a top five. Anything? <laughs> <laughs> One, ones that are on the list, the, the, like the, the, the dream. Something team. of sin, you thought, God, I want to fly that. Yeah. And don't say a triple seven. Yeah. <laughs> well, number one, triple seven. No, I'm just yeah. <laughs> right, okay, that's one Rick. down. Where's yeah. Rick? Where's yeah. Rick? Absolutely. Yeah, where's Rick? Um, gosh, I don't know. I have to really, I really have to think about that. You know, it, it's funny because I really don't have any burning desire like i just said to fly big transport category aircraft um i would like to fly on a 747 um i've never done that hmm. i'm jealous that you have that trip coming up carlos <laughs> um i think i would have really enjoyed taking it on the concord not ah, necessarily yeah. Yeah. flying it or i mean it'd be great to fly it but at least taking a trip on it um and maddie fab says if i don't say triple seven mm. rick is gonna <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, no, yeah, yes. You can always rely on Matty for something slightly controversial. Yeah, absolutely. No, so, it's, uh... um, yeah, but I mean, um, I really would love to fly um, like a, a one of the Alaskan bush planes, like a Piper mm. Cub or something that's got the gigantic, you know, uh, wheels and tires on it's it that'll just yeah. land anywhere, go all over anything. I think that's. I really like that basic stick and rudder flying and, mm. and those types of planes that just you know there's no, no frills nothing fancy about them you just get in there and, and fly it you know one of the things i'd love to try steph and, and i know you guys have talked about it on your show and we've uh, we've chatted about it on our show as well is that i'd love to fly the cirrus uh the sr22 yeah. is it and just mm -hmm. just pull that um yeah the pull the uh but yeah the uh, handle like, for the shoe <laughs> Get in with a salesman or something and say, can you demonstrate this for me? <laughs> it's great. If you've got, you, you should, because um, Matt, you, 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 the, the Cirrus has the ballistic parachute. So when the engine fails, right. you can, you can, it's like a little ejector handle you pull. Oh and a, There's and a, a great shoot. video yeah. of a guy who was, was he ferrying one to um, Hawaii? Yes, I think? yes, he was, yeah. And Is that the one in the sea? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he, he recorded the whole incident on his GoPro camera. Wow. That's really cool. But so, so you go and look that one up. That one's really a lot um, you know, the safety systems on that aircraft. Yeah. So, so, so what's, the, what's the dream as far as flying is concerned? Is it, I mean, do you, would ideally you'd like to have your own aeroplane parked in a garage and, mm. and that is it just oh. as a way of getting about or, you know? You know, so when I win the lottery yes. this week. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> welcome, welcome to our world. Isn't, yeah. Jeff, exactly. isn't Jeff paying you thousands? Of, I thought Jeff. Oh, oh he is. Yeah. <laughs> no, oh, when I when I win the lottery, you know, if, if if money were no concern or object, I think I I would love to live one of those places where you could have your you know airplane parked out back in its own hangar, and you just taxi yeah. over to the runway, and you can go anywhere. I think that would be really really cool. Yeah. Um, you know, they have more and more of those popping up around around the country here in the U.S. Um, I don't think, it, you know, I'd, I'd love to own something like a, a Cirrus or even, I really like flying the little um, Diamond Star, the DA-40. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't have big lofty goals for having a big, you know, private jet of my own or anything <laughs> like that. I just want something that's that's fun to fly and reliable yeah, and take me, you know, yeah. 
Not like John Travolta. No, no, I don't need my own. 707. <laughs> oh dear. Well, like well, it, it really is. Uh, we, we're going to have to sort of start wrapping things up, Steph. But it has been it has been wonderful certainly here to chat to you. So anybody who doesn't know, and if you don't know, then I don't know where you've been living under that stone that you've been living in. It, to it, obviously, if you want to catch the guys at the airplane geeks, you take yourself airline to pilot guy, airline <laughs> airline pilot. No, sorry, what? Airline pilot guy. Oh, airline. I'm looking at the wrong way. Oh, dear. Please, so, so if we want to get in touch with you then, Steph, if we want, to, we want to watch the airline pilot guy, how do we do that? Yeah, so if you want to watch us live, the best way to do that is um, really to follow one of the three of us on Twitter. So you can follow me at Plum Diggity. That's P-L-U-M-D-I-G-G-I-T-Y. Uh, Captain Jeff is airline pilot guy. And Miami Rick is at Miami underscore Rick. And typically one or the three of us or all of us will um, send a tweet when we are going to be recording one of our live shows. Um, yep. We don't always give a whole lot of advance notice, but we're trying to be better about that. So um, you can find more information about the show itself if you go to AirlinePilotGuy.com. There's all kinds of information there on previous episodes and other ways to get in touch with us. Fantastic. And you can always send feedback. We like feedback. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the same feedback here, at airlinepilotguy.com. Okay, so while you're while you're there, then Steph, we're just going to run out the details of our competition. Yes, so, uh, yes. The Christmas competition Absolutely. we're running this year to win uh, the box set for the uh, Flying Wild Alaska series, season one to three. Yeah. Um, I haven't got it here with me. I've got to no, it with me. No, um, but it is safely at home. Um, but yes. no, you can win uh, the box set on DVD. We're doing that as a Christmas prize yeah. this year. And um, we've got three questions uh, to ask. Uh, we covered it on last week's show. We, we uh, brought yep. you the questions yep. for the first time. Yep. We have had lots of answers in. We have, yep. Some have been wrong. Have they? Yes. Whoa, scandal. I, I, scandal. I, <laughs> and a couple of those people who got questions wrong are in the chat room now. Oh, are but they? Oh, I'm not going to tell. I'm not going to no, say. No, okay. Right. <laughs> anyway, remind them of what the questions are then, Carl. Yeah, so question number one then was, what film features a Lockheed L-1011 TriStar, which Captain Jeff flew, oh. uh, under the airline name American Pride. Yeah. Question two is on the 10th of June 1965, the first commercial passenger carrying airliner made and la made a landing using Autoland, but what was the aircraft? So on the 10th of June 1965, the first commercial com passenger carrying airliner made a landing using Autoland, but what was the aircraft? And the last question, question number three, in the Flying Wild Alaska series, what is Jim Tweeto's beloved aircraft of choice? Mm. So that's in the uh, series Flying Wild Alaska, uh, what is Jim Tweeto's beloved aircraft of choice? Absolutely. So to get your answers in then, you send it to our email address, which is podcast at plaintalkinguk.com that's podcast at plaintalkinguk.com uh, to get in touch with the show you can do it by the usual channels it is our twitter handle is at plaintalkinguk facebook it's facebook.com forward slash plaintalkinguk and our fabulous website that I'm delighted to say is still getting lots of hits Yay! that is www.plaintalkinguk.com Dot com. Yes, so find us on there. Don't forget to send us some audio feedback. We haven't had mm. any audio feedback no, for a while. We like for a little while feedback. because we like some audio feedback. We do, absolutely. And uh, Philip Davis is worrying now in the chat room. Is it me who got the questions wrong? <laughs> <laughs> you can't tell them that's cheating. I know, we, we can't tell you. That, yeah, that no. would definitely be cheating. Absolutely. But no, 
publicly shaming them later after the answers. Oh, are absolutely. Oh. <laughs> Should we do <laughs> a shaming <laughs> show? No. Oh, blimey. Oh, dear. But no, that is where we unfortunately will have to bring episode mm-hmm. 89 of the Plain Talking UK podcast to a close. Just like to apologise at the beginning, obviously, yes. with the technical yes, yes, issues yes. we had for those guys in the chat room yeah. that we did thank start you so late, much. but thanks for sticking yeah. with us. And really, thank you ever so much, uh, Dr. Yeah. Steph, for joining us on the show. You've been an absolute legend for coming yeah. on. And obviously fun. getting oh, up at pleasure. ridiculous o'clock uh, yes. to join us. <laughs> even though, it, know, turn- it, it, even though it turned out you didn't need to. <laughs> I could have slept in an extra <laughs> hour. Oh, oh, don't, you guys I've... are wonderful. Thank you so much oh. for having me. It's been my pleasure to be here. Oh, no, anytime, Shit. anytime. Absolutely. We'll, we'll hopefully have you on again. Uh, hopefully without technical issues, yeah, which would be yeah. nice. Yeah. But we That's wish you all the best for your uh, future flying, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, Thank with you. the multi-engine thing. Well, Thank you. Yeah. So, okay. from all of us here in the studio, and of course the legend that is Doctor Steph, give us a wave, Steph. Give us a wave. Yay. There we go. From all of us here in the studio, it really has been a pleasure. As I say, thanks to those who've been watching live, who've bared with us right the way yeah. to the bitter end. We are very grateful. Uh, I think it's time we all go and have some lunch now here in the UK. And uh, that's it. So, from all of us here on Plane Talking UK, episode number eighty-nine. It is goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.